Welcome to the October 2nd Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Joshua chapter 9, and the sermon is entitled, Listening to the Enemy, delivered today by Pastor Jeffrey Campbell. What a powerful day as we come before God. I hope that you know this isn't the pastor saying this. God is here. I got three people that agree with me. God is here. Amen, church. And I know that God is working in your hearts. You have told me so, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for how God is using the book of Joshua to strengthen my life, to, to open my eyes, to draw me closer to Him. And I pray that He is doing the exact same thing to, uh, to you uh, with this book and with this holy word. Today we're going to look at the entirety of chapter number 9 as we open God's word. And here's the question. Did you come expecting something? Absolutely. I heard somebody say, absolutely. I love that. We're ready for God to work, and it's amazing what happens when you're ready. Because, friends, this message today is crucial to the life of the Israelites. It's crucial to Joshua's leadership. It's crucial to the history of the Israel people. And when we look at this scripture today, I'm grateful when we think about it as God, we see God working in the life of Joshua, we see God moving, and then something is going to happen today. And here's the warning. They listen to the enemy. They listen to the enemy. And it forever changes Israel's history. And so today, church, This isn't a warning from 3,400 years ago that you need to forget about. This is a warning for the church today. That deceitfulness comes in and when you listen to the voice of the enemy, it's not the voice of God. And God cannot work and God cannot move and God will not move if it's not in His will. So I want you to look at, look at it on many different levels and I'm going to set the stage for you to, this morning as we look at it. As we have just come off of another victory. You remember the city of Ai. You remember the city of Jericho. Some bad things happened in the city of Ai. And that set the people of Israel back. But they came back a a second round and a second battle with the people of Ai. And they, they followed God the second time. And they destroyed the people of Ai. They destroyed the city just as God has asked them to. And when we're looking at that, the next battles are not going to be individual battles. We've seen two individual battles. We've seen the battle of Jericho. We've seen the battle of Ai. And today we look at the battle within. And that's one of the toughest places to look. It's one of the hardest battles to fight. As we look at this opportunity uh, today that the Israel people open up their, 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 their security, they open up uh, their willingness to follow whatever's going on, and I think that our church and our country has a lot to learn from what we're going to read today. So with that said, and when, when we think about that, there's one more thing I've got to tell you before I get into it. There's one message, and it comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 7. And that chapter tells Israel, when you get into the promised land, here is what you're to do. Y'all want the Jeffrey version? Y'all kick butt and take names. That's what you're supposed to do. But what the Bible says is this, is that you're supposed to conquer. You're supposed to smite. You're supposed to destroy. You're supposed to make no commitment with the people that are there. 
And so when you go into this, this, this newfound territory, you go there with that mindset. You go to conquer and destroy everything. Now today, listen for what Israel does wrong. Joshua chapter number 9, as we look at God's word today. The first two verses, I'm not going to read these verses to you today. We're going to start actually with verse number 3. But the first two verses give us uh, what is going on in the background. There's a bunch of kings that came together. And guess what? They're plotting not to attack Israel individually, but they're going to attack Israel as a group. And so in the first two verses, you see that. Look at verse number 3 with me today. It says this, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and unto Ai, they did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, and to the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? In verse number 9, And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard of the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt. We're going to take a stop right there at verse number 9. As we think about this message today, and about listening to the enemies, we meet a group from Gibeon, and we're introduced uh, to uh, uh, the people there, and, and Joshua is mentioned as meeting them in verse number 3 as we see they come together. But these armies are plotting to go against Israel. They hear what's going on, and the Gibeonites are not ignorant. I'm going to take this time to say this. The enemy is not ignorant. The Gibeonites are not stupid people. They have heard of what's going on. The news of what's going on, uh, the Israelites are doing, has made its way to them. They know that they are conquering. They know that they are taking over. The news is spreading from Jericho and Ai. And now, Gilgal is still the central point for the Israelite people. And so, in Gilgal, here come the Gibeonites. Look real quick at verse number 4. Verse number 4 says this. The Gibeonites, speaking of here, they did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. Verse number 4 gives us the picture that the Gibeonites have made themselves as ambassadors that have traveled a long way to meet the people of Israel. But in reality, you may not know this, but in reality, they've only traveled about 25 miles. But yet they put on, they put on deceitfulness that begins to tell the Israelites, we have been traveling a long time, we are weary from our travel, we have heard what your God is doing, and we want to make a treaty. We want to make peace with you. 
you know what? There's an old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Have y'all heard that before? I, I, I notice it in sports and I notice it all around, but if you can't beat them, just join them. But here's what the Gibeonites have done. They have taken their clothes and they've dirtied them up. They've put old sacks on their donkeys. They've torn their, their wine skins. Their sandals are old. Even the bread, listen to me, even the bread is said to be moldy. So it looks like, from the outside looking in, it looks like they're telling the truth. These guys, man, how many of them starts to pull on our heartstrings? I feel sorry for these people. And that's exactly what Joshua does. He said, maybe these people are right. Point number one today that I want to give you is this. The enemy deceives. The enemy deceives. Deceit is when you counter the truth, but also it's a statement or an action that misleads the truth. And so we find what the Gibeonites are doing is very deceitful. But it's not uncommon. They are the enemy. They have Israel's ear now. And even in verse number 7, listen to these words, what, what it says in verse number 7. And the men of Israel said unto the Hevites, Peradventure, you dwell among us. They say, hey, you could, you could be people from right here. They were right. Whoever said that, whichever one of those men said that, was exactly right. So we call it a gut instinct. The gut instinct was this. Something's fishy here. Something's going on. But they never ever could put their finger on it. But let me get off of my script and say this. When something doesn't seem right to you, what do you do with it? Where do you go with it? Well, here's where I want to encourage you, church, to do with it. You need to be in prayer to God. Because if not, you will be misled and misconstrued to follow a lie. When something doesn't seem right in your family, don't go jump in the middle of it. Hit your knees and pray about it. When something doesn't seem right in your children's school, don't go march to the teacher or to the principal. Get on your knees and pray. Friends, we have been deceived in so many different arenas in our world today. And I believe church is not the only arena. I believe even within this church today, there are homes that are deceived. I believe even today there are schools within our community that are deceived. We are living in a nation that is deceived. But when we look at the church we think that can't happen here. Friends, I want you to see a powerful nation with God at their back and dece deception crept in. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Satan is looking for a crack. And it's not in the door out front. It's in the hearts and the lives of you and I. He just wants a foothold a foot in the door so he can get in. And once he's there, the enemy begins to work. So it's, it's a not a matter of who, who we're fighting on the outside. What I want you to think about this morning and this battle for the Israelites is this. The battle is on the inside. They're going to lose a battle today that no one ever lifted up a sword. That no one ever rode a horse or a chariot. That they didn't have to kill anybody. 
But they lost this war today. And it's on the inside. Friends, there is a war. Revelation chapter number 12 speaks to it very plainly and clearly. If you want to turn there today, you can. If not, I will read one verse to you. Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 9 says this. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. You need to underline those words. Satan deceives the whole world. He was cast out. Where did he get cast out to? Into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Friends, our Bible speaks to an enemy that is full of deception, that the Bible calls cunning, that old serpent, the devil, Satan himself, self-deceives the entire world. And I want you to know from experience, we know that he twists Holy Scripture. And do not think for one single solitary moment that Satan wouldn't love to get into Clifford Baptist Church. The enemy deceives. That's point number one. And I hope you see a nation of Israel that now begins discussion with the enemy. Moving on. Look at verses 11 through 16. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey and go, go to meet them. And say unto them, We are your servants Therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now behold it's dry and it's moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new and behold they be rent. These our garments, our shoes became old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the, at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live and the, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. There is the warning. Point number two today is the enemy is believed. At their, as their story continues, as their conversation continues, they tell Israel that our leaders encouraged us to, to make peace with you, to make a covenant with you. Our bread was hot when we left home, and, and now it's moldy. Our wineskins were new, and now they're old and torn. Our, our sandals are worn. And if we look at even, even look at verses 14 and 15, here's what it says. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. So they believed them at their word. They didn't pray about this. They just took the people at their word. Man, what if, it, what if we took everybody at their word? We're starting to do it. We're leaving prayer out of it. But look at verse number 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them and let them live and the princes of the congregation swore unto them. We see how quickly God can be forgotten. They've won two battles. They, they've defeated Jericho. They've defeated Ai. And now as the enemy comes again, they don't even pray about it. 
They don't even talk to God about it. It's that quickly God can be left out of things. Here we are reminded that we need to remember that God has led them through this process. But they've forgotten to talk to him. Israel questions this group. It questions their motives, questions their origin, questions how they could make a covenant like this. And yet, through all the questions, they still make peace with the enemy. Joshua not only makes peace with them, he also makes a covenant to spare their lives. Now, I don't want y'all to get the covenant of that day confused with this day. The covenant of that day, once you made a covenant then... It was done. It was sealed. It wasn't any going back. It was a no return policy. So guess what? They have made a deal with Israel that their lives would be spared for the rest of their life. That no harm would come against them. And then the questions began to come. Friends today, what in the world happens when the enemy is believed? As you can see, God's people are getting out from under His will. When you leave, you can write this down, when you leave God out of something, failure is imminent. I'm going to say that one more time. When you leave God out of something, failure is imminent. If it's out of your families, how many of you want your family saved? Let me ask you this way. How many of us want everyone? I think we all do. We want our family saved, but we won't pray. We won't pray for their salvation. We forget to pray for their salvation. We leave them out of our prayer lives. We want our family saved, but we don't pray. We want God to move, but we only want God on our terms. All right, ready? You ready, church? God only works at 11 o'clock on Sundays. That's the belief of majority of Christians. I'll give God one hour a week and I'm done. God, if you're going to save me, you got to do it at 11.59 or it's not going to happen. I say that sarcastically. But that is the Christian culture. We give God one hour a week and say, God, save, save my family in that one hour. Change my heart in that one hour. No, God changes your heart when you give everything to Him and when you lay it all down. And friends, that's what I'm calling this church to do. It's not on your own terms, but it's on God's terms. And when you leave God out, failure will happen. You make room for the enemy. Point number three. Let's go 17 through 21. And the children of Israel journeyed. And came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shaphirah and Beeroth and Kerjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel smote them not. Because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto all of the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us. Because of the oath which, which we spare them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live. But let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes 
had promised them. Point number three. The enemy is alive. Because of the covenant with the Gibeonites, now the enemy cannot be touched. They cannot be destroyed. They cannot be wiped out. Now Israel has to take care of them. I'm not going to get rid, uh, 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 preach another sermon, preach next week's sermon, but it's going to cost them in the long run. Now they have to take care of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites have become untouchable as the enemy. And the reason that they made a treaty with the Gibeonites, it was wrong. But listen, why is it wrong? Why was it wrong for Israel to look out for the Gibeonites? couple of words because God said so because God said so God said don't do it and so because they went against what God did now they have to take on the responsibility of taking care of the Gibeonites here's the reason why they could not take on the Gibeonites here's why destruction was imminent for everyone God did not want his people to intermarry with unbelievers that's one reason he knew that the Gibeonites or the, the false gods would turn his people's hearts away from him. He knew that they would begin to serve other gods. And those are the main reasons why the conquering and the destruction was given by the hand of God. And so when we think about that, the idol worship, the pagan practice, the intermarriage of, of the godly versus the ungodly, it was wrong then. And guess what, friends? It's wrong today. It has not changed. It has not changed. God doesn't give us the instructions to go kill everybody, but He gives us the instructions not to intermarry with an unbeliever. He gives us warning what happens there. He gives us instructions of not to worship any other gods, and yet we erect them every day. He asks us to guard our hearts and be mindful of what we set our hearts on. And we set our hearts on things of the world and then we wonder why our lives fall apart. Friends, I want you to know the enemy is alive. And now the enemy is part of the camp. Joshua thinks he's doing the right thing to make them woodcutters and water carriers. But that was not God's instruction. God's instruction was to destroy the enemy. As I step away from Joshua and the Israelites, I want, to, I want you to know this. Today, as much as it breaks my heart to say this, Satan is alive and doing very well. This morning in Deacon's meeting, I prayed the blood of Jesus over here because anytime you talk about Satan, you stir him up. And the only thing that overcomes Satan is God himself, the blood of Jesus. But I want you to know this, that Satan was a fallen angel, and he's still a fallen angel. Satan opposed God then, and he still opposes God today. Satan is the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He is an accuser, a tempter, a deceiver, a counterfeit. And he's seeking to gain opportunities in the life and the children of God. He is no different than the Gibeonites. This morning, he's even trying to make a treaty with some of your hearts with some of your lives, with some of your families. And I want you to know, as much as it pains me, Satan is alive. But why is he working so hard? Here's my belief. Because he knows his future is in a lake of fire. He has no future. 
His future is in God Almighty's hands, Christians. Today, who are you trusting your life with? Some of you are putting your your lives in the enemy's hands. And you're okay with that. You're okay with that. But that great deceiver is out to destroy everything you are. Christians today, it's a daily battle. If if you don't believe me, read Ephesians chapter number 6. And you see it's not about swords and guns. It's spiritual warfare that's in the midst right now. Friends, today as we remember, yes, the Gibeonites were spared their lives. And for right now, Satan is alive and well. Point number four. Look at verses 22 through 27. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us. Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were so afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us do. And so he did unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord, even to this day, in the place where he should choose. Our last point of the day, point number four, is the enemy is punished. The enemy is punished. Joshua Joshua begins to question them, but it's far too late. The treaty has been made. There is no going back. And in verse number 24, I want to draw your attention there, if you'll go there real quick. Here's what that verse says. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. Joshua said, why did you do this? Why did you deceive us? Why did you lie to us? And the Gibeonites were very honest. Because you were going to kill us. That's exactly why. We're not dumb. We're not stupid. We knew that you would kill us. But what Joshua has done now has made them woodcutters and water carriers and servants to the people of God. Now the intermarriage... Uh, of, of, the, of the countries, it would be low because of, of where he has them serving, but the possibility isn't zero. He put them serving in the church. He put them uh, for the sacrifices, to carry water for sacrifices, trying to, to, to just keep them down from the influence of idol worship. So he put them in places where they could serve and live, but be of minimal effect to the people of God. But here's the key. They weren't killed. So it's disobedience to God. The Gibeonites would rather serve in a foreign land than lose their life. As we boil this message down today, we think about listening to the enemy. 
And I want to know, I know this is a hard sermon. How many of us are in the deal-making business? Some of us are making deals with the enemy. But today I believe this is God's territory and Satan is not here. For just an hour of time, we have a window. We have a break in the presence of God. Just for an hour, we've got a presence of God here. And I don't think Satan's in this place. But that doesn't mean he's trying. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 tell us that we're dealing with a crafty, low-down, wily devil. And it's not something that's chasing a coyote. I mean, a, a roadrunner, excuse me. It's not the coyote ch chasing the roadrunner. It's not a little guy with horns, a pitchfork, and a tail that's coming after you. It's an enemy that's out to, to kill and destroy you and your family. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The enemy is real. And the enemy is in our world. And today, Christians, I'm going to ask you this simple question. Are you losing this battle? Is someone that you know losing the battle? Is someone in your family losing the battle? And if they are, the best thing that you can do is go to God with it. Friends, today we're not going to get rid of the enemy. The only thing that gets rid of the enemy is when the Lord returns. And the Lord comes back and He takes the church out of here. And then there's going to be years and years of rain. Until one day, God will put him in the lake of fire forever. That's the only time the enemy leaves. Until then, we know the enemy is there. We know that he's seeking to devour and consume. We know that he's cunning. We know that he's wild. And we know that he uses the wiles of the devil. It's there. So what do we do, church? Do we close our Bibles, lay it on the, lay it on the side, and pick it back up next week? I, I, I beg you, don't do that. I beg you, don't do that. Do we turn it all off and, and just, are we satisfied with one hour a week? I pray you're not that person. The greatest thing that you can do is to come before God right now and say, God, here's the issue. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the enemy, and I need your help. I need your help here, God. If Joshua would have just said that, God, what should I do right now? He would have got the answer. And today, that's what I'm begging the church to do. If you need an answer, you come before God. Also today, in a moment of invitation, as we allow God to move and work, I'm going to ask every single one of you to look within. To look within. Because that's where the battle lies. That's where it lies with your pastor. And I know that's where it lies with hundreds of us here today. Those of you that are watching live stream, look at the heart. Today, if there's one person that has never received Jesus Christ as Savior, the greatest, the greatest victory that you will ever experience is to lay your life down before a holy Savior and say, God, here it is. It belongs to you. Today, I challenge you to do that. The greatest thing that ever happened to me happened when I was 15 years old, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Today, if there's one person that needs to do that, I challenge you to do that today. But church, what will we come and bring before a holy God and ask Him?
to take care of. Don't listen to the enemy. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these moments of invitation. Thank you for the moments of your holy word. Lord, you use a people of Gibeon, Lord, to teach us about the enemy. And Lord, I know that I'm one of the people in this room today that's fighting a hard battle. Lord, the crosshairs are right on my back. I have felt them this week. I know that they're there. And I know even in this moment that they're there. Thank you for your heads of protection. Thank you for your wisdom and leading. And God, I pray that over every life represented in this place today. God, today, for that one that is struggling, that feels beat down, maybe they feel like they've lost the battle to the enemy. God, I pray, Lord, that you will do just like you did to Joshua, that you will pick that one off, dust them off, and bring them back to you right now. God, in this moment, as we approach the Lord's table in just a few minutes, Lord, if there's one person that needs the blood of Jesus over their life and salvation, God, we lift that one heart, that one soul to you right now and pray that they would come. Lord, we pray your spirit would move and work in these moments where we do business with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.